Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We gather this morning because of you, because of who you are in our lives, because of what you've done in our lives and because of what you continue to do. Holy Spirit, we love you. We honor you and we worship you in this place. And I ask God that everything that comes out of my mouth this morning may be of you. And if it's not, Lord, let it fall to the ground. But Jesus, the things you want to build here this morning, may they sow into our hearts and grow like wildfire. May we be a people who carry your image into all the world. We love you and we honor you. And in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. All right, James. We're still on in James. And this is going to be a little bit of a stronger message from James because James is, as Dave said, a loving father who's giving the church a good old slap And at times we need that. And I've been speaking and I spoke last week about, about the tongue and the power of our tongue and what we can actually lock in and solidify into what's around us and how important it is to, to control our tongue, to not be speaking and not be um, dishonoring people and dishonoring the things around us that we can actually create that God has built us to create our words create as we speak them out as life or death can come out of our tongue and that we establish that in the things around us and James carries it on in James 3 chapter 3 verse 13 he carries it on. He says, so he, in, in, the, in, in the earlier part of three, he warns those who are not to be teachers. And it's almost as if he carries it on by saying, but if you are to be a teacher, then let me, let me show you how to do that. And he says this in verse 13 and 14, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. In the society we live in today, we have this unusual, well, it's been built over a long period of time, especially in Australia, where we have this thing where the goal is, is to grow as tall as you can, be as big as you can in the industry that you're in. And if anyone starts getting around you a little bit higher than you, just hack them down so they're a little bit lower than you so that you feel good being in the place that you're in. And unfortunately, we continue to perpetuate this cycle in our kids, in our kids' kids, our parents did it to us, that we wake up when we're born, we grow up and we learn, learn your manners, learn how to be socially acceptable, learn how to not chew with your mouth open at the dinner table, how to use please and thank you because that will get you further in life, right? I remember being told that as a kid. Use please and thank you, use your manners because that will get you further in life. And then the goal is once we master that task, we go to school and we apply those teachings at school to get good grades because at the end of our schooling life, we've got good grades to then hopefully go to university or go on to a full-time trade where we can continue to get ourselves further in life. And all these mechanics, all these things that are built around this is built around getting a good job, getting the coins in your pocket to get you further in life. The problem is, is that often you speak to somebody who's very wealthy and very old is they get to the end having got very far in life and they sit down and realize there's nothing here. I did all this stuff. I got all this. I gathered all these things. I followed all the rules. I got all the way to the end and there's nothing here. 
So what we do is we swing in as Christians, we can say, well, we can change that. We can bring you value. We can bring you a life worth living. We can bring you reason and purpose. But the problem is we continue on the same journey. You still should go to school, get a good job, make sure you're further in life, protect your family, pay all the goodies, all the bits and pieces. But the thing is we still get to the end and we go, why have I done this? Why? I've got the good job. But you see, the problem is I've created a life now that... It costs me more money to live because I live a fancier life, so I've got to work harder to pay them more money to live the life that I've now created. So I do more hours, but then I get paid more money, so I buy more things, so then I work longer. And we get ourselves in this weird cycle of 30, 40, 50, 60, some 70-hour-a-week job where we're now trying to pay until we get to the place where we just can't do it anymore. But this has been channeled in us from beginning to end we just go that this is the pattern this is what I should do I should finish school I should go to uni I should get a degree I should get a good job it's like it's a underlying pattern that's being drawn for us the problem that James reveals in this is that we never actually stop and say Jesus what do you want for me what did you line out for me I was at a prayer meeting during the week and it was a great prayer meeting we were praying and we were we were declaring and we were we were asking God and we were pushing we were pushing we were pushing and I just was standing there and God just rebuked me he said Ben you haven't asked me what I wanted and I fell to my I fell to the floor I just started weeping I was like God I'm sorry what do you want and I prayed it out loud I said God what do you want the room went silent and we sat in silence for close to an hour but you know, the, the reality is we often forget that because this world that we live in is point after point after point after point, year after year after year, next thing, next thing, next thing. The new iPhone, the next iPhone, the better iPhone. I heard someone today say, man, I can't wait for 2020 to end because 2021 is going to be so much better. The sad part is we said that at the end of 2019. I was one of them. I couldn't wait for 2019 to end. And then we get slapped with 2020. Let me tell you this. What happens if 2021 is worse than 2020? Guess what? We will run through 2021 just trying to get through to get to the end, to get to the next one. Because that's what society tells us to do. That's what we're supposed to do. The next one will be better. But we don't stop and say, God, what do you want for this one? What do you want in me for this year that's been nonsense? What do you want? And you know, you might just find, myself have found along the way that God had given me things that wouldn't have made the year so much nonsense had I listened. But because I was so quick, I was so in a hurry, I was so looking, I forgot to stop and ask for the wisdom of the Father. And James says, who is wise and understanding among of you? Which one of you have done this? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast or be false to the truth. 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon, there's this, there's this conversation between God and Solomon. And it says this, And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a child, a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? 
It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise discerning mind so that name so that none like you has been before and none like you shall arise after you. You know, we've heard this verse so many times. I've heard this verse so many times. And it's kind of always been put to me in a way that says, you, you want the next thing? You want a bigger thing? Ask God for the wisdom and he'll give it to you, right? But that's not what Solomon's doing. Solomon is saying, God, I can't achieve what's in front of me. It's too great what's in front of me. I need your wisdom for this now. Solomon's not trying to pull himself into a bigger position. Solomon's looking at the task that's in front of him and going, I can't do this. This is too big for me. I know how he feels because I've had that prayer so many times. God, I'm too little. This mountain is too big. But see, God is saying, if you ask me to pull you in to me, I will give you more. But the wisdom is not for more. The wisdom is to operate in the task he's already asked you to do. That little thing that's in front of you, God said, I'll give you the wisdom if you bring yourself before me. Solomon as a child, it's almost like God gave him the wisdom in way to ask for, for more wisdom because he comes to a position where he says, this is way too big. God, give me more of you. Give me the revelation of your kingdom courts. Give me the revelation because there's no one else around who can do it for me because I'm supposed to be the king. I'm supposed to be the guy that everybody looks to. I'll tell you who I need to look to. I'm looking to you for this right now. That's what Solomon is saying. He's saying, I need wisdom, Lord. I need wisdom because of what you've asked me to do. The extended Oxford Dictionary explains wisdom as this. Wisdom, sapience or sagacy is the ability to think and act using knowledge, experience, understanding, common sense and insight. Wisdom is associated with attributes such as unbiased judgment, compassion, experiential self-knowledge, self-transience and non-attachment and virtues such as ethics and benevolence. Wisdom is not being the smartest guy in the room. Wisdom is having an information and a knowledge that no one else has. Wisdom is sometimes walking into a place where you should be the silliest guy in the room, yet you have the key that unlocks the problem that's before everybody else. Wisdom is knowing that if I do this, the outcome is going to be this. If I don't do this, the outcome is going to be this. Wisdom is getting heaven downloaded into us to operate in an earthly realm with a heavenly understanding. Wisdom is operating in an earthly realm with a heavenly understanding. God will download a wisdom. I want you to understand something. Solomon doesn't steal or take the wisdom. He asks for the wisdom. Why? Because only God can download the wisdom that's needed for a people. So when we come before him in humility, in humble, with humble hearts to say, God, I need you to operate. That's because I'm seeking for a kingdom revelation. Your kingdom come, your will be done on an earthly realm. 
So when I step in to a situation, when I step in to a conversation that I know well and truly I'm outside my bounds, before I enter often into a meeting, I will sit in the car and I'll pull up and say, God, give me your wisdom. Speak in this conversation. Why? Because I can't do it. I'm not asking him to advance me in the conversation. I'm asking for his will to be done in the person's life who's across from me. His will to be done. The wisdom of God acts outside of selfishness, acts in a humble heart to say, I can't do this. That's what Solomon was saying. I'm not the guy, but you've chosen me, so give me the tools to complete the task. Does that make sense? Solomon was acting from a place where he's saying, God, your wisdom, your wisdom is founded. He asked, Proverbs 3, chapter 3, verse 13. I'm going to go here just so we can clarify this wisdom so we can go where I think James is taking us. Proverbs 3, chapter 3, verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, those who hold her fast and call her blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep wisdom and discretion. And they will be life for your soul and adornment for your necks. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Proverbs 8.11 says, For wisdom is better than jewels and all that my desire can compare with her. And Proverbs 16.16 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Everything that God positions us in is to say that if you operate from my wisdom, you will operate in me. You will operate in my peace. You will operate in my rest. You will operate in who I am. It comes from my wisdom. I like watching this um, TV show um, about hunting and, and it's a guy who, who loves meat and he explains why he hunts and how he does it and where. And, he, and along the way, he, he releases all these bits of knowledge or wisdom about hunting along the way. And one of the things that in, in one of the episodes that's really cool is he explains how to choose your, your um, tent, where to lay your tent at night and why. And he explains in one of the episodes that if you put your tent in a particular position, you feel safe when you go to bed and you know that you can rest because nothing can come in and get you. Right? So he's saying that if you, if you think before you lay your tent and you lay your bedding down, you will have a better sleep because you're not worried all the time that something's going to get you because you know I, I put the protections in place to, to lead me to a good sleep. That's what, what Proverbs is saying in this, is that when you operate in the wisdom of God, you rest easy because you know I'm doing what God's asked me to do. I'm in the safety and provision of the creator of the earth and I know that nothing can get me here. So when I operate from the wisdom of heaven, 
I lose my worry and my stress because I know I'm in his place. I'm in his finds. Nothing else can touch me. So you, you, you get that verse where it says, what good distress do to you? But then all of us go about our day and operate in stress, right? It's like a challenge that we have to get ourselves to where we get worked up and then we have to stop and rethink. Oftentimes, that's because we've acted outside of the wisdom of God and we've put ourselves in a position we should have never been in. So because we've been operating from outside of God, we allow other things to start to operate and one of those things is stress. But when we know that God's called us, when I know that I know that I know God's put me here, every if, but, or maybe you put before me doesn't stress me. Why? Because God's called me there and I'm operating from the wisdom of heaven and I know I will be in his hands. So for Jess and I, when we took, um, when we came in to, to leading this church, it made no sense in the physical. I understood that. I knew that it made no sense. But I knew that I knew that I knew God had put me here. I knew that he told me that I was to be there. So at the end of the day, I don't stress about it because I know, God, you asked me to be here. So I'm leaning on your kingdom. I'm leaning on what you've asked me to do. Does that make sense? It's more valuable than gold. We have to operate in a place that's more valuable than gold. Don't strive for that place that will get you to this far off thing, this job that I'm one day going to get or this position I'm one day going to be. Operate in my wisdom and it will be more, more valuable than anything this earth can offer. That's why at times for me in worship, I get so overwhelmed because we will watch a football game or we will open our bank accounts and see that a $1,000 has dropped in there. And there's this feeling inside. You all know the feeling I'm talking about. There's this joy, this is excitement. Oh, there's $1,000 in there. What can I buy with it? Oh, there's $1,000 in my bank account. I have to worry about that bill, right? There's this joy, this is excitement. But when we get the wisdom of God on something, we overlook, but it's more valuable than that. When God shows us something and we go, oh, I see it, Lord. It's more valuable than the gold that's before us. It's more valuable than the money that gets dropped into our account or that our team kicking that goal. And we need to start to understand what does that actually look like. James continues in 3.13, or he says in 3.13, by his good conduct... Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is similar to humility, but it's a deeper understanding than humility. Meekness, the word there is, is peruts. It's G4240. And it means complete lack of self-concern. Complete lack of self-concern. To be meek, and it says that Jesus is both mild and meek. To be meek is to have absolutely no care for myself in order to uplift my brother or my sister. So when Jesus is hanging on the cross and they're, they're verbally attacking him, they're throwing all kinds of things at him and he stands and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is meekness. Is that Jesus had every right to say nothing or to, to, to curse them, but instead at the complete lack of self-concern, he lifts them up. That's to be meek. You know, there's not many people in the world today that I know or have seen who operate in a deep, great level of meekness. 
There are some who I've seen. I think Mike was one of those men who operated in this beautiful meekness. And you know, the funniest thing is that if you ever said to him, bro, you were so meek, he would have disagreed with you. No, I'm not. That's too much of a title. And I go, but that's your meekness right there. You're showing that level of humility that we are to act in a place of complete humility. So, so James is saying by your conduct, by your good works that we've spoken about, show who you are, but in the meekness of God's wisdom. That's why when we see things in churches where people, they tell you everything they've done, they puff themselves up, they feel good because I've done this or I've done that. And those deeds, yes, are good, but you're not following the way James told us to act in the meekness, the selflessness of your act. That's why I love when when something happens, you see someone has been given something and they have no idea who did it because that person is trying to act like James said, out of the meekness. Here's my goodwill to you. Here's the work of my faith coming into your life, but it's out of meekness. James continues on. He says in 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. You see, James is he's contrasting these two things, selfishness and meekness. The wrestle we have between work and faith is because we get caught up in the fact that our work gains us something. But we fail to accept that there's a meekness, there's a humility that we're supposed to work with and operate in that God is saying, there, there is my kingdom at work. There is no glory given other than to me the one who deserves the glory. So when we start to operate, when we start to see, James is saying that if you bring selfishness, if you bring jealousy into your life, then you will start to operate in a place that's not me. And he's building this crescendo to the thing that comes next. But let me explain one thing this way. If if we are building the kingdom, we are truly, truly building God's kingdom and we decide that we are to get ourselves to a position where that's what matters most. If Dan decides tomorrow that he's no longer going to be with us and he's going to go somewhere else, I'm not to get upset with him because he's going on the call to build the kingdom that I'm trying to build. But what's happened is that he's decided God's revealed something to me to be a different part of the body and he's calling me. So I get two options in this. Do I become angry at Dan because of my own selfishness? No, you're to help me build my kingdom. You're to help me build my thing. Or do I release a guy and say, it's out of, your, it's out of my love for the kingdom that I know you're going to build somewhere else. You see, it's meekness or selfishness. And each time we operate, God says, you get the choice. Do you want to operate in selfishness or do you want to operate in the freedom knowing that we're all on the same goal? That's why from this barrel I've said so many times, that door is open. If God hasn't got you here, don't stay here because someone else is hurting because you're supposed to be there. And you're probably doubling up because God's called someone to fill the thing you think you're supposed to fill. But when we act on the wisdom of God, we know where God's calling us. So I can't put out signs and, and, and have one of, those, one of those men that stand out the front like this, you know, to bring people in because we're, we're just bringing people in for the sake of bringing them in. What I rather will do is come to this carpet on my knees and say, God, send those 
who are supposed to be here. Open the heart of those who are supposed to be in this house that you've called to this house because we're all building the same kingdom and I want this team, this part of the body, this foot, this arm, whatever it is, to be strong to do what it's supposed to do. But what happens is selfishness has crept in to the church. Selfishness has crept in to our hearts. Selfishness has brought us to a place where we where we, we don't even realize that it's there. And what we've started to do is build our own kingdoms. We've started to lay down, what's my church? What's my ministry? What's my thing? And God's saying, it's not yours. It was never yours. It's my church. These are my callings. These are my gifts. I'm giving them to you. That's why they're called a gift. Because God gave them to us. They were his. And he gives them to us to achieve his goal. But James is saying, operate in meekness. Never lose your meekness. Because if you step into selfishness, you will operate in the wrong place. Later on in James' letter, in James 4, he says, Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride is the opposite spirit of God. Pride is the opposite spirit of God. That when we operate in pride, we are operating in a place that pulls us away from the kingdom, pulls us away from the claw and who God is. That's why David goes to his knees. He says, Father, search my heart and tell me what's in here. Because pride is not easy to see. Pride is the most difficult thing to see. And pride will protect itself. Ezekiel somewhere, three something. Ezekiel three something in that area. Hmm. When, when God is explaining to the king of Tyre, and he's, and he's talking about Satan. He says that pride is your primary weapon. That pride is your primary weapon. God explains that the primary weapon of the enemy is pride, is selflessness, selfishness rather. That I become about me, me, myself and I. And what happens in that is that we can't see it and we get what's called a blind spot. And every time I turn, the blind spot moves. So when someone comes to me and says, Ben, Man, I want to tell you, you're operating in pride. What the pride in me does is go, nope, no, I'm not. You're operating in pride. I'm not the prideful one because the pride protects itself. So then I walk around, I go, how dare you, Chris, tell me that. Done. We stand away from each other. And the pride now builds in me and it gets more because I start feeding it and feeding it. But David, a king, brings himself to a position where he says, God, I don't know who's out to get me and who's not. Can you reveal it to me? Because the wisdom of God from his kingdom reveals the thing on this earthly realm that we can't see. So all of a sudden you're sitting there and God gives you a little smack a little discipline from me and a little smack. And it just brings you to a place where you go, man, now I need to outwork it. Now I need to go to that person and apologize. I need to go to that person and humbly say these words, which can taste bitter. I was wrong. I was wrong. 
I'm sorry, man, I was wrong. And that can be the hardest thing for us to do. But James is saying is that if, if God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, when we become humble, that's where the grace covers us. The grace brings us back. He then continues on in James 4.10. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. In, he, in your humility, he exalts you. Does everyone understand? Is everyone okay? Up, up to where we're at, fantastic. Because this is where I think James is leading. This is the crescendo in James 3. He gets to James 3, chapter 3, verse 14 to 18. So he says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast to the false of the truth. This is not the wisdom. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceful, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make it. James is highlighting this simple fact. There is good and evil, light and darkness. Okay, kingdom of God, kingdom of evil. There is a distinction. I remember my very, very first, um, I went to a Catholic school and we did RE, religious education, and you had to, it was like a class similar to Mass or English. And the first thing we did was we had to watch um, Pirates of the Caribbean. And I was like, yes, awesome, we get to watch Pirates of the Caribbean. But the whole point of watching the movie was to explain that just about every movie we watch has a good guy and a bad guy, a goodie and a baddie, as we learn as kids, right? And there's this position to understand that everything we do is this tug of war in our soul and, our, and in our spirit of good versus evil. And you see, the thing is, is that every step that we make, every conversation we enter into, every time we open our mouth, every time we, we open our computer and start clicking, every time we speak to our, our spouses, every time we drive in the car, it is this challenge between good and evil, light and darkness. And God says to us, you can operate however you want. I've given you the freedom of will to operate however you want. But let me tell you this. Let me tell you the foundations of your life that I have set before you in Deuteronomy. I have set before you blessings and curses. And you get to choose. Choose the blessings. I have set before you light and dark. You get to choose. Choose the light. I've set before you good and evil. You get to choose. Choose the good. And that's what James is saying is there's two wisdoms that we can draw off. We're either drawing off the wisdom from down below. What's down below? Come on. What's down below? Yeah, the pit. Right? Darkness, evil, it's a picture of evil. We're either drawing from the kingdom of evil or we're drawing from the kingdom of God. And everything that we operate in, where you start seeing decisions you've made and you're going, ah, nothing is making sense in this. It's not working. Nothing's working out. But you've not stopped and gone to the carpet and said, God, what did you want here? Well, boy, I didn't want that. You never asked me. And now you're reaping of the decision that you made where you drew on a wisdom that wasn't mine. So now we've got to backtrack because we've got to clean up the mess you made. See, we think often that God is either punishing us or the enemy's punishing us. No, you didn't listen and you created a mess that God never intended for you. 
So he says, you drew from a wisdom. James is saying, you drew from a wisdom that wasn't mine. And often, especially in conversations, it's why James prefaces this with the tongue, because it's often the tongue that gets us in trouble with our spouses, with our friends. And what we do is we, we speak before we think and we act out of the wrong wisdom. We take the wisdom from down below and we say some stuff and then we go home and we get quiet with God and we start realising, oh, that was the wrong wisdom. That was the wrong place. I drew on a knowledge and an information that I shouldn't have drawn on and now I have a mess before me because my wife is angry at me or my friend won't speak to me or my boss is on the verge of firing me. I need to go back in humility, in meekness to say I drew from the wrong wisdom. I'm sorry. See, God is asking us as a people to be a, a, be a people who operate in his kingdom, image bearers of him. But we have to do something in that. We have to actually operate in ourselves to say, God, how do you want us to be in this? James goes on in James 4, 7, and he says, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourself. So there's two things for us to do. Number one, submit myself to God. Number two, resist the devil. Well, hang on. Why do I have to do that? Because that's what God's asked us to do. He's asked us to be a player in this thing, to play in his kingdom, to be operants of him, to work. We are fellow workers with Christ. That means we have a job to do. That means we have something to do with our hands. You can't just draw close to God and go, well, he's not, they're not going to get me in here because I'm sure that's what Adam and Eve felt. I'm sure that's what Moses felt when he left the tent of meeting and he struck the rock. Right? We think, well, because I'm close to God, the enemy's not going to get me in here. But James goes on to say, no, you have to actively resist the devil. You have to make some decisions. If you keep looking at the wrong thing on your phone, then delete the apps. If you keep getting into fights because you're tired at work and you don't know who you are, then cut back your hours. If you're cranky all the time, then work out what it is and ask God to remove it from you. It's not everybody else's fault around you that you're cranky. It's your fault. Have that if you if you're hungry and you're hangry at people, eat something. Right? Operate in a place to know. Like Jess and I have this joke. I won't go to Coles unless I've had something to eat because I get cranky in this in a shopping center. I'm like, just get everything. Get one of everything. Now, look at this old lady and you want to get around her because I'm cranky. I haven't eaten, so I have to stop and use some wisdom and think, what is going to make this God where I can operate like you would want me to operate? If you're tired and you're cranky, stop and think. Stop and ask for the wisdom. Stop drawing from the wisdom of God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist him and he will flee. He won't flee if you keep enticing him. He won't flee if you keep going just a little bit. I'll just have a little bit. Then he's not going to flee. He knows he's got you. Give him a little bit more. He's patient. He'll wait. Just give him a little bit more. But you see, we have to actively resist him. We have to actively stand to say, not today, Satan. Not today. We have to. That's what Jesus did when he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Not today. Why? Because he doesn't want to give him an inch because he'll take a mile. 
We have to stop letting the enemy get in. Stop drawing from the wisdom that's below because James says it's demonic. See, in the Western church, we've ran from that word. We've not wanted to talk about demons. We're happy to talk about angels. We'll talk all day about angels. But you, mess, you, you mentioned the D word in the church and we all get wigged out. We all get upset. Well, what, what do you mean it could be demons? Is there angels? Absolutely there's angels, but there's no demons. Or oh, they're there, we just don't want to talk about it. Why? James doesn't, doesn't mess around. He talks about it. All through the New Testament they talk about it. Jesus talks about it. The disciples talk about it. Now, I'm not going to give power to it. I'm not going to give credence to it, but I'm not going to pretend like they're not there. That there's times where, where I, I can sit in a place and I go, man, I'm getting attacked here. I'm going to a meeting and I get intercepted by four or five different things along the way. And I'm like, oh, I just, I've learned now I'm just turning my phone off and going, my eyes are set on this thing that God's asked me to do. I'm going to achieve that and I'll deal with the messes afterwards. Why? Because I don't want to get sidetracked by some sort of wisdom that bubbles up from below where I give credence to the enemy and I step into what he wants me to do. I've got to set my eyes on you, God. I've got to set my, my heart on you. But there is things out there trying to derail you. There is a demonic realm. There are forces that don't want you to step in to the things God has, you, has for you. There are forces that are stopping you from going to that time with God. There are forces that are stopping you from reading, from worshipping, from declaring Him. There are forces that are making you angry and cranky and you have to resist them. That's what James is saying. You have to resist them. You ever sat down to read your Bible and you put your, you've not had a call all day or a message or anything go down? You sit down to read your Bible and you're the most popular guy or gal on the face of the earth. Ping, ping, phone rings. This guy wants something, this person. And you go, yeah, yeah, I'll oh, just get it quick. I'll oh, just get it quick. Oh, all right, well, there's my half an hour spent. 45 minutes of it was spent. Oh, there's my hour spent. 45 was spent dealing with your phone. Why? That's not a coincidence. That's not a coincidence. That's a force pulling you apart, pulling one way or the other and saying, I wonder if he's going to give me credence this day. I wonder if he's going to let me have the foot here. Or I wonder if, as James said, he's going to resist me to stand in the wisdom that's from above, in the kingdom realm, to operate as a son and a daughter as I've asked him to operate. That's what God's saying to us. That's what God's saying to us. So this morning when I bring this, when, when I feel God stirring this cry to, for people to come and submit themselves back to the Father is not because I think you haven't done enough or you've not been in church enough or you know, you've, not, you've not made me feel excited because you've sat or come for prayer. That's not what I'm doing. Is that there's something there that God is saying, there's been a resistance against me and they're giving the okay to the enemy. They're not resisting the enemy. So when we come into this place where all of the, the, the children of God have gathered where because of us as believers, this becomes holy ground. And we push back darkness and we say, you cannot come into this place. People come in, they go, oh, I feel so free. This feels so good in here. And they'll worship freely. But then when they go back out the door, the battle starts. The pulling starts. The tearing apart starts. The difficulty starts. One way or another. The wisdom from above or the wisdom from below. You have to choose, you have to choose, you have to choose. This is resistance that we have to push back. 
That's where it starts. That's where James is saying, yes, it is about faith into the unknown. Yes, it is about trusting God. But you've got to do something with it. Because if you don't, the enemy is going to pull you to shreds. But I've given you the tools. I've given you the ability to pull from heaven, to not live earth hoping to get to heaven, but to live from the place that your spirit is founded in Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, and you live from that place and pull it down. You live it down into heaven, sorry, into earth. And we operate in that realm. I will resist you, Satan. But it has to be in humility. I can't just say to Chris, Chris, it's because you've brought me in trouble. Get out, Satan. I have to be humble. I have to have humility in my heart. I have to have meekness. I have to say, God, if this is you, change it. So how do I know it's him? James finishes by explaining, and I'm finishing with this. He finishes by explaining how it's him. James 3, 7. Chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, pure, then peaceful, gentle, and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Pure, peaceful, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Everything that people receive in those around them that are operating the wisdom of God is because there's purity in their hands. There's a gentleness in the way they speak. There's a kindness. There's an there's a impartiality to be able to say, I don't know what's right and wrong here. So let me say we're both wrong to begin with. or We're both right and we'll work around from that. There's an impartiality not to always be the right guy in the room that the wisdom of God operates in love and kindness from the person who's across from them. Why? Because he is love. He is love. So we operate in that place. The wisdom from heaven that we draw upon is operating in the love of the Father. That even if there is a rebuke, even if there is a challenge that needs to be had, it gets done in these ways. Purity, peacefulness, gentleness, open to reasoning, full of mercy, with good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's the love. I can't just call Chris in and say, Chris, I don't like you because of this. And I'm telling you as a brother. That's not operating in the wisdom from heaven. Because there would be gentleness and kindness there would be a place that allows us to operate. I know I've spoken about this in the last four sermons for James, but I feel like it's a problem in our society and we need to fix it. When you have a Facebook argument, put these things on the top of your computer screen and think to yourself, am I operating with purity, peacefulness, gentleness? Am I open to reason? Am I open to see the other guy's side? Is my heart full of mercy? Is there good fruit from this conversation? Am I impartial and am I sincere? If you can't tick one of those things off before you press that enter button onto that person's Facebook page or Channel 7 or Channel 9's news um, webpage, then don't press it. Now, look, I understand, yes, we can be a voice that we can start to change a society, we can start to redirect something. But if it's outside of this, what wisdom is it from? The one from below. 
James is challenging us as a people because he ends with this. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This harvest that we keep talking about, that we keep talking about coming in, is done by those who make peace in peace. The peace of the kingdom of God is done from the heavenlies, out of the kingdom of God and out of the wisdom of the Father, not out of the wisdom that's from below. Look around at yourself. Why look around? Because James had to search his heart. Sorry, um, David had to search his heart. It's hard to find. Don't ask God if someone around you is operating from the wisdom below. Ask God if you are. Why? Because when I come in the opposite spirit, I can change the thing that's in front of me. If you come in the spirit of the victor, there will be victory. If you come in the spirit of a king, of the king, there will be a kingdom established. You don't have to try and find out what's operating. You just have to operate in the wisdom from above, from above, from his kingdom, and you will establish his kingdom. Does that make sense? Is everyone okay? Okay. I'm going to pray to close this. We have an announcement to make. We have a little bit of family business we need to do. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to do that and then we'll go have coffee. Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. I pray, Lord, that you search my heart. God, help us see the areas where we're not operating from your kingdom. Help us see the places, Jesus, where we're not carrying your image. Help us see where we're not establishing who you are, Lord. And God, give us the strength, the humility, the wisdom to change our lives, to honour you, to glorify you, and to bring about who you are in this place. You are the worthy King. We love you. We honour you, Jesus. We declare your kingship in this house. We declare your kingship in this city. And we declare your kingship in this nation. You are ruler and reigner. We love you and we honour you. And in your beautiful name, we pray. Amen.